Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and dedicated to silencing the chatter about what women should and shouldn't be doing as they age. Here to bring you stories about women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, women who are leading inspiring lives that make a difference to themselves and others, are Catherine Marino and Gail Zalitsky. Hi, I'm Catherine. And I am Gail. And we are delighted to welcome you to today's episode of Women Over 70. As you know by now, our signature is featuring women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s who are leading lives that illustrate inspiring ways to continue to learn, contribute, and make a difference as we age. The 30-minute conversation with our guest is not scripted or rehearsed, although we will focus on several themes that we've agreed upon in advance. We're thrilled to shine the spotlight on Dr. Kathleen Taylor. Kathleen is 75 years old. She's working full-time as a professor in the School of Education at St. Mary's College of California. She's fortunate enough to live in Berkeley, California. Kathleen has a special passion for social justice and for learning and transformation of adult learners in different settings, and we're going to hear about that. One thing about Kathleen that we're especially interested in is this notion that life often is not a straight line. And Kathleen, I've known you for over 30 years. I've been a part of your life journey for those past 30 years. I know that your life is fluid. And we are really interested in hearing about how you have arrived to where you are and where you see yourself going in the future. So Kathleen, welcome to Women Over 70. We're thrilled to have you on our show and to help have you help us reimagine aging. So Kathleen, could you start by giving us some bit of the past in terms of, I know you went to college kind of at the right age, <laughs> and then what happened? Well, to say this was anything but a straight line would be understating the case. Um, I did go to college right after high school, and uh, as I like to tell my students so that it's clear that I'm a real person, in the world, um, within a year and a half, I dropped out uh, because I got pregnant and married in that order and uh, was out of college for at least a couple, three years, dropped back in after I uh, dissolved that first really ridiculously <laughs> unprepared for and unwise marriage um, and was again... Um, well, derailed, if you will, or I, I no longer think of it that way, but I think of it as found a new path, um, which was the anti-war movement that was very hot in Berkeley at the time. It was during the international days of protest, and I got very seriously involved in that, such that I was actually a staff member. Uh, it may be amusing to note that in those days, a full-time staff member who worked about 80 hours a week got $100 a month. <laughs> yep, I remember. <laughs> and there are many, many twists and turns in this story. Suffice it to say that I uh, got married again and had uh, two more children. Um, and only when I was 38... Did I drop back in? I think maybe at 36, I dropped back in. And at 38, I actually got my bachelor's degree. Congratulations. <laughs> Good for you. 
business. Um, I invented the term late bloomer. No, I didn't really, but I feel as though I did. And I kept going in directions that were unexpected. During that period of time be between colleges, I actually had a whole career involved in um, natural food, vegetarianism, cooking. I wrote a, a, a book uh, with a registered dietitian called, um, my heavens, what was it called? Nutrition Survival Kit. And it was not just recipes, but it was about why eating certain kinds of foods and not eating others uh, could make a difference in your life and in your health. And then I got to the point in my career where I was actually lecturing about these topics and, and had, as I say, a, a television program on the equivalent of NPR. And there were people in the audience who would say, well, where did you get your, your education, um, Mrs. My Name at the time? And I would always find myself sort of backing, embarrassed and filling because, of course, I didn't have any. I read a lot. I thought a lot. I worked with professionals. So when I dropped back in, I was in a situation where schools at that time expected you to drop back in as a freshman. Give me a break. And of course, that was unacceptable. I was fortunate beyond belief to find an early version of what was the University Without Walls system and attended a program that, that was designed for people like me, sort of second chance learners. And it was one of the major watershed experiences of my life, not just the acquiring of a degree, but recognizing that learning could happen in different ways than the more or less traditional uh, absorb information approach. And, and that was probably a major, um, well, it was a major discovery to put it mildly, but it really has colored the rest of my career. I, I realized that that was what I wanted to be part of, was um, being in educational situations where one can help people change their lives. And knowing how transformative it had been in my life, I wanted to make those opportunities available to others. And I must admit, my primary thought at the time was that this was particularly important for women because this was uh, at a time when a lot of women were, you know, they'd gotten their consciousness raised, they realized that they had more options than simply being Mrs. Somebody or other. Now, of course, this is a very uh, uh, privileged slice of women. There were many women who didn't have such choices. So, Kathleen, I just want to drop a stat statistic yes. in here because adult-focused programs have been operating full force since the late 1960s. And even today, over 75% of the students are women. Yes. Thank you for that. And it was very much the case in the, um, in the institutions that I was associated with, with seeing all these women who were discovering that they had minds of their own and voices of their own and lives of their own, even though they were part of a family, even when that was a happy family, they were no longer content to just be in, in some really important sense, second-class citizens. So one thing led to another, and I began to work for the institution from which I'd gotten my degree and was working to make transformative education available to others. And it, it changed many, many people's lives. In fact, sadly, sadly at the time, the cliché was 
a degree for a divorce. (laughs) That for just a whole lot of women, the kinds of changes that they made placed stress on relationships that were working on some very narrow assumptions. And those narrow assumptions we now identify as misogynist and patriarchal. And I think some people had language for all that then. I don't think I was one of them, but the evidence of my eyes was right there. Mm -hmm. And it was both, you know, wonderful and sad. It was wonderful to see women claiming ownership of themselves. Ownership is not the right word, but I think you get the point. And um, in fact, there's this wonderful book called uh, Women's Ways of Knowing, the Development of Self, Voice, and Mind. And that's a perfect uh, characterization of what it was like for many, many women who suddenly said, wait, wait, I have a voice, I can speak out. And sadly, the sad part is that many relationships that were not bad relationships. They were just stuck in a, in a kind of a time warp. Could I, I just want to add something again here too, Kathleen, about the book, Women's Ways of Knowing. It yeah. came out in 1986. Yes. I have used it in, in courses that I've taught on women's issues. I think it is still as current today as it was in 1986. So it's paperback form. I really encourage people to, to read it. And who's the author of it? The first author is Mary Field Belenke, and you can look that up under B-E-L-E-N-K-Y. There are four women psychologists, um, Belenke, Clinchy, Goldberger, and Terule. But if you look up Women's Ways of Knowing Belenke, you'll find it. I bet you can get used copies on the web for next to nothing. Right, right. <laughs> so to bring this part of the, the, the story to a close, I ended up getting my doctorate in which I I looked very closely at how do people develop uh, as adults. We we know a lot about child development. That's been around for, you know, a century or more. But the notion that we as adults continue developing, that actually is fairly new. That's probably only 50 years old because Freud said – and he was wrong about so many things. But Freud said, you know, at 13, you're done. And uh, Piaget, famous child developmentalist, um, his, his theme, his theme of, of uh, various kinds of development of understanding, it ended with something called formal operations, which in his view began in adolescence, and that was it. And subsequent to that, people like... Well, there's been many theoreticians. The one who, whose work I am most closely identified with is Robert Keegan, K-E-G-A-N. At, he was at Harvard's Graduate School of Education. But his model of development, I'm fond of saying, is Piaget for grown-ups, meaning that what we understand about the way that children's understanding of the world around them and of themselves changes in really specific, discrete Uh, describable ways that we adults do too. The problem is that most societies are stuck at the stage that begins in late adolescence and continues for some people. Yes, it does continue for some people for the rest of their lives, but it doesn't have to. And it is, there are important changes in how we can interact with our world, both the people around us and and the institutions around us, 
which have a more complex perspective. That's where we can look back at what we learned about how we're supposed to be and how our culture works and how the world works and how I am. It's just how I am. And we can realize that that, that isn't so, that we have choices about who we are and what we can be. Kathleen, I think it would be really interesting to have you say a few words about uh, the settings in which you are working with adults in, in that sort of more learning and transformative. I know that you are full-time faculty, you know, in the College of Education, working with practitioners who are pursuing their doctorate work. You also, more recently, working with, with inmates at San Quentin. That's correct. What's, what's going on there? Well, that has been an eye-opening experience. Um, I mean, it, it's so wonderful. It, it's like we, we need to have a whole conversation about that and almost nothing else. So I'll try to, I'll try to encapsulate it. Uh, this particular uh, group of men are themselves effectively adult educators in that they are there for a long time and one never asks why. And they have decided to take advantage of the opportunities available to them to increase their own education. And several of them have AA degrees, which is as far as the state will uh, subsidize. You, you can't go beyond an AA degree while you're in San Quentin. And some of them have gotten two AA degrees. And what they are doing with their, their uh, increased knowledge and, and understanding and time is they are acting as educators for their their peers who do not even have high school diplomas. Mm -hmm. So they are peer educators helping folks who don't have high school, which, you, I mean, everybody knows you can't do anything without a high school diploma. And, and you send somebody back out into the world who doesn't have that, talk about a revolving door. So there is this opportunity for them to pass the GED. And the statistics are clear. If you go back out and you've got some education, you are so much more likely to stay back mm -hmm. out. We won't talk about the uh, millions of ways that the legal uh, system could be improved to affect recidivism. But for now, I am working with those guys because... I had a colleague, I have a colleague at St. Mary's who has been volunteering uh, for five years or more and who invited me to participate because of my very specific work with adult learning and how to understand the best ways for adults to learn. And, you know, we, we don't just open up somebody's brain, pour in information and say, there, you've got it. How we learn is as, is, is as important as what we learn. We can learn in ways that assume that other people are just there to sponge up what we know, mm -hmm. or we can learn in ways or teach in ways that enable people to recognize the power of their own minds. And this ties back to what I was saying a moment ago. And to get to this point in life where you can begin to question those things that have been just reality for you. Well, of course, people who for example, have my color skin or my religious uh, uh, beliefs or no religious beliefs or my political approach. Of course, we are superior in our belief about how the world works and in so forth and so on. Now, every single one of us has those or has had that 
kind of framework to our reality at some point in our lives because it's part of the natural process of growing up and understanding who you are in the world. And for most people, adolescence is that time where you stop being a completely self-involved nit and you learn to listen to your teachers, to your mentors, to your religious leaders, to your community leaders. And that learning, which is so important, so important to achieve, that learning is in and of itself a really limited way of being in the world. Right. I think, I think Gail has a question or comment for you. Yes. So I, as I'm listening to you, and of course I don't know you as uh, the way Catherine knows you, and, and I can't help but think, here you are, 75 years old, you are talking with such passion, such interest in the work that you're doing, and I have to wonder, are you, do you have plans to just keep working like this? You have so much to <laughs> offer. Well, um, my, my, my phrase for this, which perhaps is not entirely <laughs> charming, is they're going to have to take me out feet first. <laughs> because, and I'm very fortunate to be in an institution that does not have a retirement policy. And in fact, there are some people who have worked there for literally 50 years. <laughs> that said, let me be clear. I get tired. And uh, I take a nap <laughs> whenever <laughs> I am at home at midday. Let me tell you, I go flat for a while. I can attest to that. <laughs> <laughs> and quite seriously, I, um, because I work with mid-career adults and our uh, students can't take their, you know, can't take off from work during the daytime, don't be ridiculous. So our program teaches class on Friday night and all day Saturday on a particular schedule. And during our Saturday eight-hour eight <laughs> class, during lunch hour, my students know where to find me. I'll be out in the parking lot taking a nap in my car. <laughs> so Kathleen, do you think about aging, women who are aging, aging reimagined? What does that mean to you, if anything? Well, I want to be real clear that I have no choice but to think about aging because there's all these places that don't work like they used to. And I have a new hip, about five years old. It's great. One of the you know, better things that happened after a, a long period of enduring discomfort and, and uh, you know, limitation. And it's like, they can, it's wonderful what you can do with a, a little replacement. <laughs> uh, and as I say, I get tired. Um, there's, there's all sorts of ways that the body says, you may still feel like you're a spring chicken, but honey, you ain't. Well, that's just reality. And I try to do things that keep the system going. I mean, I, I now feel some, something like a, a cliche when I travel. I travel with my tea, with my prunes, I kid you not, with my flaxseed, with my pillow. I, mean, I feel like a joke. But all these, all these little things that one has to do to sort of keep it together. But most importantly, I think it's the fact of, of, of keeping doing that keeps me going. Mm -hmm, for sure. Because I'm, I am passionately interested in, in how the world works. I am concerned about the way in which it doesn't work. 
And I know that the kind of work I'm doing with transformative learning I mean, I may be just one drop in a very large ocean. Well, I am just one drop in a very large ocean. But it's, it, it is, a, it is a, the kind of work that does literally make a difference. Now, it may be a very small, very localized difference. But if we can, if we can contribute to the way people understand themselves in the world around them and act in the world in more thoughtful ways and and just see that we are not powerless no matter the forces that are you know constructing the world around us in in imperfect ways you're being very diplomatic which uh, we appreciate um, what what next for you I know that you're uh, going to be on taking a sabbatical starting in uh, January. What what will you be doing? Well, I, I do I hope to do some more research and writing with you, my dear. <laughs> yes. um, but one of the other uh, opportunities I'm working on, and I hope can come to pass, is uh, I'm going to be off for a year, and a colleague, a former colleague, is uh, works for well she's a dean for the oldest women's college in islamabad pakistan mm -hmm. and it's been going for more than a hundred years who knew and they teach teachers there women of course who will become teachers for other young women and um the idea is to go there of course because they began a hundred years ago, they're on the old British system, which is very much a lecture-based approach. And my colleague and I know that for learning to help people discover the power of their minds and to transform, there are better approaches than the lecture system. And it's a kind of working with how the brain really learns that you and I, Catherine, have, have done a lot of work on in trying to make this information available to other practitioners. But the idea of going there and for a few months helping to um, reimagine their, their learning approaches is incredibly exciting. Now, even as I say that, you know, your other question comes back to haunt me, which is, I don't love doing time zones anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and as much as I might like going out to a, a Pakistani restaurant, I, you know, I mean, I feel so, you know, silly to be saying, am I going to be able to get all the fruits and vegetables I need? <laughs> but so, so that's the reality is there's still... Um, a tremendous urge to be and do things that I feel make a difference. I see the difference in my capacity. But the only way to deal with that, or the way I have found, is to pay attention, to go to my, to my exercise class regularly, to walk the dog regularly, to watch my diet thoughtfully and carefully, to try to get as much rest as, well, I never get as much as I need because one has to wake up several times in the middle of the night, but let's not <laughs> Reality. As I say, I, uh, the idea of just going toes up and saying, well, I guess I'll, I mean, I don't know what I would do. The, your papers are, are uh, I'm sorry, there. I, just, I gesticulated. <laughs> 
<laughs> I see. I can. Yes, I can see you do that. Um, you know, I want to just comment that you, the uh, the the gift of having a year sabbatical and then being able to go to Pakistan for several months at a time, uh, deal with the time zone, immerse yourself in the culture, and and be there long enough to really make some difference in their uh, teaching. I, you know, I used to go to Kenya for two weeks at a time for a similar purpose, and it's exhausting. And I'm just so delighted that you you can have this opportunity to have that stretch of time. Yes, I, I hope to be able to do that. Here's a sort of a, I don't know, I want to say to women over 50, let's just go there, because that used to be sort of when we started planning for retirement or something. I don't know. It's so not over. It's so not, this is the time. To, I mean, yes, kick back and spend more time with your grandchildren and, and, and go visit places you haven't had the time to see if you have those, those means. Great, do that. And if you can find, whether it's day-to-day -day regular employment or a situation that you can participate in that isn't necessarily remunerative if you can afford to have that kind of life. It will keep you, I mean, it's the best possible thing to do is to stay engaged in making a difference for yourself and everyone around you in whatever way that works best for you. You may be limited by your economics. You may be limited by your health. You may be limited by where you live. I mean, I, can, I, I am it, it ridiculously fortunate, and I want to acknowledge that, fortunate and privileged in, in innumerable ways. But I have women, uh, and, and men, of course, also, coming into our doctoral program who are in their 60s. Now, most aren't. Most are in their 50s or late 40s because they're all, as I say, mid-career professionals. But they are coming back because they've had, like, you know, someone who's had a 25-year career doing something that she didn't absolutely love, but that she needed to do, and it paid the bills, and it made a decent living, and she doesn't want to be a bank manager anymore. She's done with that. <laughs> so she got a, you know, silver-plated handshake, and now she wants to do what she has been passionate about for a long time, which is teach English. So she can now afford to do that. And as luck would have it, um, the community college that she had been teaching in like one or two courses every so often actually recognized her worth. And she applied for a tenure tech job and got it when she was basically 60. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. So Kathleen, you mentioned... Uh, Going back to women over 50, do you have uh, uh, any words of wisdom for, for younger women? You know, as Gail and I talk with, with, with women about this podcast uh, and, and younger women, many of them say to us, well, we need to listen to this. We need to hear what's going on with, with uh, women, you know, ahead of us. And do you have any words of wisdom for the younger people you've got? children, adult children who are 50, 40? Yeah. Um, well, they're, they're my words of wisdom. I don't know how wise they would be for anyone else. 
But, and I, I can't help but go back to that development theory that we don't have time to go into at great length, but there is a period of our lives where, especially as women, we are fully engaged in everyone else's life. Those may be our, our children who require, as very reasonably require our attention, perhaps a spouse who needs certain kinds of help as he or she um, you know, works in the world and, and, and needs emotional and, and other kinds of support. And for many of us, uh, we're the sandwich generation. Our parents are getting to the point where they need more of our input. And let me be clear, I'm not saying that we should not respond to the needs of those around us, those whom we care for, those whom we feel in some ways responsible for. Absolutely, yes, that is part of our lives. And, this is not an either or, this is a both and. And we must not lose sight of ourselves because it's so easy to do. You know, it, it, what is it where no matter how much time you have, the job will extend to fill that time. And I look back at some of the times before I went back to college and I was absolutely, that was when I was 38, I was absolutely that person. I was, I was really so enmeshed in the life of my family, my spouse, my children, even though I had written a book in there and so forth and so on, I had, I had receded in ways I wasn't even aware of. And it was going back to school and, and learning in this way that required me to be conscious about and, and in some important ways in charge of my own learning that pulled me out of this kind of passive um, relationship to my life and said, ah, 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 take charge, woman. You know, like, yes, it's true that that somebody always needs something from you, but you know what? You could probably put some boundaries around that. And so I would say boundaries, looking for the places where you can establish boundaries. It doesn't mean you don't love the people you're saying no to, but you know, being able to say no to people is just a learned skill. It is. I mean, I just, I, you know, I think several times a week when I meet with um, adult learners, the women in particular, we have this conversation, the same conversation, and trying to help them make the distinction between, oh, I'm being selfish. No, this is about self-care. Yes. It's important to your well-being and to everyone's well-being around you. So yes. thank you so much for, for highlighting that because I think it's such an important message for all of us, whatever age we might be. And now, Kathleen, we have to wrap up. Okay. And uh, <laughs> we could listen to you for a very long time, and we may have to bring you back as a, a, a second time so we can get more of your wisdom to share with our listeners. Well, as you can see, there's no end to that stream. <laughs> <laughs> we thank you for sharing it with us. This has been wonderful. Uh, and again, thank you for being on our podcast, Women Over well, 70. Thank you for doing this important work. And, okay. and we want to encourage you to help us spread the word. And I think, as you said before we started the podcast, what did you say about the importance of this work? Immodestly, I, I say that. Oh. <laughs> we want to well, hear it again. <laughs> we don't have enough places to go 
for to find how we can learn from us. And this is hugely important to have a place with women of intelligence and intention and maturity to create a supportive learning environment for, for folks like us, which is women who have years and maturity and experience, and we still have needs and desires, and we need to know that we're okay and how we can help others be okay. Well, we hope you'll join us in our Facebook community, Women Over 70. I hope so, and I wish somebody would put in a plug for the book, but never mind, you'll take care of that, I'm sure. The book being? Facilitating Learning with the Adult Brain in Mind. It sounds dry, it isn't. It's fun to read, and it's full of really useful information about how your brain learns and how to understand how learning can make a difference in your life and the lives of others. And uh, the authors are Taylor and Marino, and we will post this on our site. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, we will. Thank you again, Kathleen. We've been talking with Dr. Kathleen Taylor. Thank you. Thank you for letting me play in your sandbox. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. In what ways are you shattering the myth that women over 70 are no longer relevant or visible? How are you celebrating aging? Join with us. Make your voice heard. Find us at womenover70.com. <laughs>